I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yo, technology, what is it all about? Well, first and foremost, I don't know if you know, but my house burned down in 2020. I did not know. What? Yeah, yeah. Where were you living? I was in the Santa Cruz Mountains uh, oh, in a yes. small town called Boulder Creek. Yeah, I know Boulder Creek, yeah. Yeah, one weekend I decided to go on a camping trip with my then girlfriend, now wife. And when we came back, the house was ashes. And fortunately, I did have insurance. Wow. It took me a year to claim the insurance because, of course, you know the insurance companies were very stressed at the time because hundreds of houses burned down in California. I mean, it points to climate change impacting the economy. Climate change is a business risk. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech this week. We are talking to a very special guest. His name is Diego Saez Gill. He is the founder of a company called Pachama, which is a climate tech startup that is building a whole new array of tools to basically make it easier for big companies to find, fund, and monitor big reforestation projects and other ways to restore natural habitats and reduce CO2 emissions. Because as you know, because you've listened to this podcast a lot, most of the big public companies have said, yeah, yeah, net zero, we're all about it. We're, this is our public pledge. We're going to become these net zero companies. None of them have really a plan. And a big part of it is they need to start investing in projects to either create new carbon sinks in the forms of new forests or whatever it may be, because carbon capture and storage, or cutting their emissions, and typically both. And Pachama sits right at the heart of that project of trying to get helping companies basically clean up their act. And they're really interesting because they're leveraging everything from Earth observation satellites to AI to assess habitats, monitor progress on projects from afar and just to kind of see how much good is being done if the kind of the carbon reduction is actually happening if the forests are actually growing that kind of thing and the company has raised a lot of money to do all this 90 million dollars 
And they're just one of a whole generation of these new climate tech companies who are trying to build the tools to help companies address climate change in all kinds of different ways. And Diego himself has a great story. He uh, he ended up doing a couple startups before this, including a smart luggage company who knew and that was all going great until well you know they outlawed lithium-ion batteries on planes which made lithium-ion battery powered luggage kind of a problem but anyhow diego's just a fascinating guy pachama is a fascinating company and again they're just trying to really leverage all the technology they can to make it as easy as possible and kind of to lower the barriers for companies all around the world to start actually delivering on their net zero projects through these kind of carbon reduction or reforestation projects around the world. So it's a fascinating company and I know you're going to enjoy the conversation. So I will now hand you over to my chat with Diego Saez-Gil of Pachama. Enjoy. So just before we get into the nitty gritty, um, can we just take it from the top and describe what Pachama is and why you started it. Yes, absolutely. Pachama is a technology company with the mission of restoring nature at climate scale. And we use satellite images, AI, and software in general to help verify, monitor, and therefore fund projects that are protecting and restoring nature and removing carbon from the atmosphere, which is a critical solution in the face of climate change. But of course, nature is, uh, has so many other benefits for humanity and for the planet. And we partner with companies that have a climate plan, a climate responsibility, who are investing on reducing emissions, but also on removing carbon from the atmosphere as part of uh, you know, their corporate plans. And why we started the company, I am originally from Argentina. I grew up surrounded by beautiful South American forest. I witnessed the destruction of the Amazon rainforest with great sadness. And, and then I settled in California among the redwoods of the Bay Area. And after many years building technology companies in Silicon Valley, uh, wanted to contribute to this important mission using the technology that Silicon Valley had developed to help drive funding to nature. And we started the company five years ago. And since then, we've been making great progress, but of course, still at the beginning of a long journey ahead uh, to really have a meaningful impact on the planet. So what did you do before Pachama? You said you were you spent years working on other startups and other ideas. What 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 did you do in the years before you started the company? Yeah, it was quite different. My first startup was an app to book hostels and affordable hotels. I was a broke student traveling in hostels in Europe where yeah. I went to do my masters. And at the time, there wasn't any app that you could use to book a hostel or a bed and breakfast or a hotel. So with a friend, we built one. And that was my first startup. Uh, we ended up being acquired by a larger travel firm that wanted to get into the student segment, into the youth segment. 
After that company, I went to visit my family in Argentina, bringing gifts to them in a suitcase, and the airline lost my suitcase. And I started wondering how come there is smart watches, smart thermostats, and there isn't a smart luggage that you can track. So we actually invented the first smart luggage using 3G and GPS to track uh, the suitcase. And that company was doing quite well until the airlines decided to ban lithium-ion batteries. And we had to... Uh, of course, right, 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 right. Because they have that habit of blowing, blowing up. <laughs> exactly. Uh, fortunately, we had filed for several patents for the technologies that we invented, and we ended up being able to sell the company for the patents. But you know that company actually took me to China, where we were manufacturing the products. Right. And it was in China where I had my first eco-awakening moment, seeing the pollution of the Chinese cities, right? It's brutal, isn't it? I, 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 in my previous gig, not covering tech, but I was living in London and covering kind of energy, oil, mining, commodities, etc. I had a couple different trips to China for, for different stories. And I have kind of general allergies, nothing yeah. like crazy. But I just, it was such a brutal experience for my body because like my yeah. eyes hurt, my lungs hurt. Like everything kind of just started going haywire because just the yeah. air is the air is thick. You know, you can feel it. Yeah. You barely see the sun in some of these big cities. Yeah, I had I hadn't seen that before. And I remember, yeah, one afternoon in Shenzhen, and of course we were manufacturing on factories that were putting that pollution out in the air, right? So it was a moment of a meaning crisis, right? Like what like what I'm what am I gonna work on, right? After that, I actually took a sabbatical, and in that sabbatical, I went to visit the Amazon rainforest. And that was mm. the other side of the coin, right? Seeing the deforestation of the Amazon and the fires of the Amazon, those experiences led me to want to do something about it. And, you know, having experience building tech companies, I thought that I could put those skills to work. And where in the Amazon did you go and what did did you actually see some of the like firsthand some of the destruction or did you were you like going yeah. for, as a tourist and you're like this is awesome but oh this is also heartbreaking like what was the experience Yeah yeah so I came back from from China and I actually you know step aside from that you know the suitcase company I was burned out and confused I had two brothers and I went to spend Christmas with my family in Tucumán in the north of Argentina and I told my brothers, hey, I need to go disappear somewhere. And one of my brothers told me, how about we do a road, a road trip to the Amazon? So we nice. actually did, went through the ground north of Argentina to Bolivia. We crossed Bolivia into Peru and ended up in the limit between Peru and Brazil in an area called Madre de Dios, which is a beautiful part of the Amazon and where there is a lot of deforestation, unfortunately, happening right now. Mm. We went to visit uh, an indigenous community, and on the way, um, I got to see the, the deforestation. You, you get to you go through areas where the left side is forest and the right side is a clear cut, total destruction yeah. of the forest, and it was quite shocking to see. And then being inside of the forest was very powerful to see the biodiversity, like millions of species in, concentrated into each hectare of land, trees and birds and monkeys and quite a powerful experience. It's something that's so precious. We need to protect and restore, right? Because there's an opportunity to bring the forest back. 
in many places. Years and years ago, I went to the Amazon and the, I saw like the pink river dolphins, which are super cool. But the thing I remember the most was our guide took us to the, the base of this giant tree that dropped a certain type of fruit. Mm -hmm. And then there was a burrow in the in the ground there and he said there was this, there's like this spider that eats birds it's like a giant tarantula Whoa. and it just waits in this it makes a burrow and waits where these where these fruit fall and then these little birds come down to eat the fruit and then it just pounces and he he stuck wow. a stick he stuck a stick in there and he's like just feel that stick and it was the the spider on the other end who didn't come out but it that thing was powerful yeah and i was like oh my god this place is crazy <laughs> it's gnarly yeah uh, we heard stories of people that go for a walk on the forest and never come back i believe it but it's amazing to me the amazon and the congo rainforest and the borneo rainforest are jewels of the planet right that future generations deserve to to have right and we're destroying it at a really rapid pace unfortunately so you were building previous tech companies. What What is your background uh, educationally? Yeah, so I studied electromechanics and business. And, okay. and then I went to do a master's in project management. But I always had entrepreneurship in my mind. I would say that today I'm a jack of all trades. I'm not an expert on anything. But yeah. what I do know how to do is to bring together investors that believe in a vision and then talented people that want to work on that vision and then, you know, lead that team through the ups and downs of building a company that, as you know, is not a straight line. So you came back, you had that experience with the Amazon and you have the kind of this technical background and you've built companies. So what did you do? How, where did you start on Pachama? And I presume Pachama is short for a uh, shortened version of Pachamama or something. Is that correct? That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yes, Pachamama is a goddess of Mother Earth for the indigenous people of South America who are part of my ancestry and um, believe that the earth is alive, right? That the earth has a spirit. Now, how did I start? The, I started just talking to a bunch of people and, and I learned about the carbon markets. You know, I learned that there were companies that were investing mm. already tens of millions of dollars into carbon credits that could finance conservation and restoration. And I went and I talked to these companies to, you know, sustainability teams at these companies trying to understand what was their problem, how we could help them invest more. And what I learned there was that there was a problem of trust that uh, yeah. many carbon offsets in the past had not delivered the value that they uh, should have. And there was a, a lot of issues that 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 it wasn't easy for companies to see through these projects and invest with confidence, right? And there was a there was also recent. I mean, in the last couple of years, right? Didn't two or three of the top verification companies, the company, the independent companies, were like, okay, yeah, this actually is a legit project. This money, this is sequestering mm. carbon. This is doing what they say they're doing. They just turned out to be kind of not doing what they were supposed to, like not checking on these projects or being fraudulent about it. And that, again, to your point around trust, that seems like a big issue if like this whole market depends on the actual, the investment in, in projects actually delivering the projects. Yeah, you know, I, I think that the first generation of carbon markets, which started 15, 20 years ago, 
just didn't have the tools, right? We didn't have access to satellite data so easily. We didn't yeah. have the internet, you know, frankly, 20 years ago, right? So it was not easy to do remote verification and monitoring. So they relied on networks of auditors and local consultants. Fortunately, yeah, that gave room for some players to take advantage or just to make mistakes, right? But the situation was that many projects did fall short. So there is where we identify that these technologies, right, um, AI applied to satellite data could automate or, or expand the capabilities that we had to monitor and verify these projects, right? And in doing so, uh, give more trust to companies and give more tools to the people on the ground who could execute these projects, right? And in doing so, hopefully, again, helping drive more money, more finance, and more support to the people on the ground who want to do the right thing and protect and restore nature instead of destroying it. And that's what we've been focusing on, like building different parts of an ecosystem that would allow for that flow of capital to go with trust. I mean, it sounds like there are many pieces to that puzzle, but is there a core of it that didn't exist before? And, I, and I'm, I don't know, but like we've had um, Will Marshall from Planet on here a few times, who is yeah. such a cool company. Amazing entrepreneur. Yeah, and they they of course have all these little mini satellites, and they take a they image you know the entire surface of the Earth every day, and that gives you up to date like moment by moment developments on what's happening on the ground. So I don't know if it's stuff like that, if it's that satellite imagery and the kind of the current you know the kind of constant uh, monitoring that is the the thing that has changed or has enabled you to kind of start to deliver on that or if it's something else? Yeah, that definitely is part of it. We have many more satellites today than we had 10 years ago. We're launching tens of satellites every week right now as a humanity, right? So we have much more Earth observation data than before. But also the other field that advanced very rapidly is AI, right? You know, with more GPU, more computing power, more new techniques, new frameworks for AI. Today, we're able to do things that that wasn't unthinkable before, right? Uh, As we saw it with ChatGPT and other areas of AI. So similarly here, you could apply this new computing power and new techniques to analyzing satellite data. And for example, one innovation that we brought forward was uh, the idea of dynamic baselines. uh, Because, you know, you, you need to establish what is the baseline of business as usual, what will happen if nothing is done on this forest? What is the deforestation that is going to happen or the fire that is going to happen, right? We built an algorithm that goes and looks an entire region, determines what is the most relevant area for you to compare your project against, and then tracks that over time so that you have a dynamic baseline that tells you this is a shifting risk of deforestation. And that is something that it was it's basically impossible to do without AI and without uh, frequent satellite data. And we think that that is going to be part of the future of this market. It sounds like what that allows is there, there's a more nuanced way to um, assess projects, whether it's reforestation or whatever it may be, than just like, yeah, here there were no trees and now there are five trees. It sounds like it it's kind of gives you a more 
holistic and potentially better way to assess the value of a given project. Absolutely. Yeah. And you would apply for reforestation, conservation, agriculture, and anything that entails land use. But in general, we think that all carbon projects and all climate projects require more nuanced level of uh, diligence and monitoring so that we can trust and then send, you know, tens of billions of dollars to finance these projects. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. And so how does it work? So say I'm, I don't know, Shell or Tesco, and I want to like yeah. start offsetting some of my activities or start kind of funding projects, which then generate credits, which generate money for me, you know, kind of, do they say, they call you up and say, Diego, help us? Like, how, or how does it work? What's the process? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, we have relationships with a, a vast network of corporations that have a climate plan and as you said they have short-term goals and long-term goals right and some of them might want to buy already a credit that represents a carbon sequestration that already happened in the past to be able to compensate their emissions their past emissions and others might want to say you know what we want to invest upfront into a project that will over time generate a lot of carbon sequestration and will help us compensate future emissions that we would have, recognizing that even if they invest a lot in new energies and reduction of emissions, it will be a transition, right? Right. So we help them with both. We we build portfolios of projects. Some projects we get very involved in the design of the project because they are early on. Other projects we arrive later and we help more with the diligence and the monitoring. But we help the the connection between the two parties and with the data to gain trust on making the right investments. Right, because it feels like there's two sides of it. There's like, you know, Amazon saying, you know, we're going to buy 100,000 electric vehicles for our delivery fleet, which that is a big, you know, reduction in their emissions. But at the same time, reduction only gets you so far, you have to kind of put back, right? You have to kind of replenish. That's right. And, and you know, what's interesting 
you know, sometimes people say, well, carbon offsetting is greenwashing and it's a way for companies to clear their scenes and get away without yeah. having to do the hard thing of uh, investing in reductions. It turns out that the companies that are investing the most into carbon sequestration projects are the ones that are investing the most into reductions of emissions, right? So you have either companies who care about climate and are investing in both reductions and compensation, and then companies that don't care and are, do, are not doing anything, right? So I think the right way to do climate action, taking responsibilities by doing both, investing as much as you can today on electric fleets and solar energy and decarbonizing your buildings and your activities, all while investing in protecting nature and sequestering carbon to compensate your emissions that you cannot reduce immediately. Right. I'm sure you know this uh, better than me, but isn't it something like 86% or 96% of the Fortune 500 has has made like a public net zero pledge, like by 2030, by 2040, by 2050, whenever it is, we will be a zero carbon enterprise. These are, you know, the biggest companies in the on the planet. And it my sense is that a lot of them are like, yeah, we've come out. They usually, usually in the past few years have said that. Two things have changed since then. One is that there's been this big pushback on ESG or anything that sounds like ESG. Yeah. And also, it's like you make the pledge and then you're like, well, okay, well, how do we do that? Right. And there's no real plan. So I'd love to get a sense from you of like, how you view the state of the market because it feels like we have these like really grand ambitions and now it's like the hard part and while part of the market's like "Mm, never mind that was stupid you know esg sucks yeah totally uh i think the percentage is, is lower still but but it is moving in that direction of like a majority of publicly traded companies uh making a a pledge to be net zero to decarbonize in many jurisdictions, there is actually uh, regulations coming online, right? Yeah. In the European Union, in Canada, in California, where companies are going to be required to cap their emissions and compensate and reach some targets. It's true that Wall Street and investors go up and down on this. Sometimes they they are like, all companies have to do ESG. And then, you know, there's another wave that says, like, don't do ESG, just be profitable. But the general trend is towards companies having to take responsibility for their environmental impact and for their climate impact. And you're right that at the board level, these companies make a pledge. And then, you know, the CEO assigns the chief sustainability officer, go do this. And turns out that it's really hard uh, to decarbonize your activities. And it's really hard to know how to invest in carbon projects. So, yeah, many companies have a real problem on on execution. Fortunately, there is a new generation of companies that are emerging, that the climate tech category in Silicon Valley and around the world that is emerging to help companies solve these different stages, right? There are companies helping with carbon accounting, just knowing how much you emit. Other companies are helping with clean power. Other companies are helping with carbon removal. We're among them, right? So in the last few years, there's been this climate tech economy that is developing to help the economy do it. Because one thing is to pledge, another thing is to actually do it. Yeah, totally. I, it was, it's interesting because I'm having a personal experience of this right now. We're in the midst of trying to buy a house in Berkeley. Yeah. And we're getting a loan, but we can't get a loan 
unless we get home and fire insurance. Right. And the entire insurance industry has basically left California. I know. Because those really bad wildfire seasons, 2018, 2019, wiped out a quarter century of profits in the state. And so it's really interesting when you see like, that's just a very real effect of catastrophic weather events, natural events, like wiping out vast swathes of profits of industry, et cetera. And now you have the situation where the state is having to kind of step in because most people's homes is their primary asset. And you're faced with a situation where basically you're going to have a state full of stranded assets because no one will lend against them because no one will insure them. And it's like, I just find it like that, just like one acute example of kind of what is coming for a bunch of industries in a lot of different ways. Well, first and foremost, I don't know if you know, but my house burned down in 2020. I did not know. What? Yeah. Yeah. Where were you living? I was in the Santa Cruz mountains uh, in a small town called Boulder Creek. Yeah, I know Boulder Creek. Yeah. Yeah, one weekend I decided to go on a camping trip with my then girlfriend, now wife. And when we came back, the house was ashes. And fortunately, I did have insurance. Wow. It took me a year to claim the insurance because, of course, you know, the insurance companies were very stressed at the time because hundreds of houses burned down in California. Fortunately, insurance showed up and I was able to buy a new house. But I personally experienced what you're talking about. And by the way, now my new house is very difficult to also yeah. get a good insurance. Policies are much more expensive. So that's totally true. And yeah, I mean, it points to climate change impacting the economy. Climate change is a business risk, right? So it's not just a feel-good, check-a-box No, if we want to have an economy, we need to address climate change. And if companies want to have a business, they need to address climate change and they need to realign their business model with a, you know, positive economic, uh, ecological outcome. And, and then, yes, I mean, the carbon fluxes are going to change. There's going to be forest fires and we're going to have to hopefully use AI to predict them, to mitigate and adapt in the face of this, you know, changing world. Yeah, we had uh, on the podcast probably a couple of years ago, uh, the founder of Kettle Insurance. I imagine you know them. And they're doing uh-huh. wildfire prediction, using AI to do wildfire prediction, kind of on a house by house, street by street basis. And so what I don't fully understand, and I'm sure probably none of our listeners do, is just the state of the carbon markets. Because as I said, going back to when they started, there was the European carbon credit market, and it kind of it has existed for a while, but it doesn't feel like it's delivered on the promise that we all thought it was going to when we were talking about it 10, 15 years ago. Right. And that seems to be the mechanism that you are trying to kind of get in the middle of connecting people who need to reduce their emissions with projects that need to get funded. What is the state of the carbon market? First, I'd like to say that all industries go through stages of evolution right? Uh, The market for shares of public companies went through several crashes and mistakes that then improved. doesn't mean that we we stop trading shares of companies. 
the mortgage market went through a big crisis in 2008 and 2009. I heard about and that. It doesn't one, mean yeah. that we needed to. <laughs> you did, right? It didn't mean that we needed to get rid of mortgages. We just needed to, you know, improve the controls and the checks of how do we do mortgages and how do we let banks trade mortgages. Carbon markets too, right? We had a first generation, and there was lots of improvement to be made. And now that improvement is happening, there is a new generation of players that is coming together to raise the standards, build the tools, and fix the rules so that no bad projects can actually get away with uh, misguiding the public. But yeah, I mean, I think that last year was a year of lots of revelations. And then a reset and a reframe. And now it's a year, I hope, of reinvestment into this new generation of carbon markets because we absolutely need a mechanism, as you said, to fund these projects that are so needed, not just reforestation and conservation, but other ways in which we can remove carbon. And of course, the transition to clean energy, the transition to clean transport, and, and all these things that are difficult to finance where there is still a green premium and you need mechanisms to finance these projects now, right? Because we cannot wait 20 years. In 20 years, it's going to be much worse. We need to invest today. So yes, we decided to get inside of the beast, get into the core of the carbon market and try to contribute. And it's not just going to be us. Of course, it's a, it's a network of companies and NGOs and organizations working to make the market work. And is there a kind of a typical project that you guys help facilitate? Is it reforestation or is it conservation? Is it, and is it solely around restoring the natural world or is also like, you know, there's a carbon capture and storage project that can like, you know, suck out a bunch of CO2. What is the typical project for you guys? Typical project for us has been reforestation projects that are restoring native ecosystems and in doing so creating an income for local communities, removing carbon and restoring ecology and biodiversity. We also have uh, verified and evaluated and, and helped uh, fund projects that are doing conservation or improvement of the management of a forest. We aspire to be able to expand to more types of carbon projects but we started with what we think was most important, what we were most passionate about, and what was most uh, needed, right? Because reforestation, there are very few reforestation projects around the world at scale, and conservation projects needed help ensuring quality. But yeah, we, ultimately, we, we want to help finance all carbon projects, all climate solutions. How much money have you raised? We have raised close to $90 million dollars. And when was the first round? So the first round was in 2019. It was Y Combinator, the accelerator in yeah. Silicon Valley. They bet on us at the time. Frankly, it was a PowerPoint presentation. But one of the partners, Gustav Alstromer, believed in the vision and, and they bet on us. And that started a snowball of incredible investors coming and joining the company. When did you raise your last round? In 2023, we did an extension of our Series B, which we did in 2022. And in that extension in 2023, we added Deutsche Telekom, their venture arm as an investor. They're one of the largest German companies, and they have a big commitment towards climate action. 
And then Lower Carbon, who is one of the most active investors in climate tech. The Series B was led by Future Positive, which is a, a British American fund focused on companies that would do positive impact in the planet. How has the market changed? Because again, so going back to the earlier discussion around the vicissitudes of the market and the like, yeah, yeah, climate tech is the new thing and no, it's the worst. And like, you know, <laughs> right. what, how has that changed in just in terms of your experience of going out trying to actually raise money to build a company in this space? And venture capital as a whole has changed drastically, starting with the prices of public companies going down drastically in 2022, right? And then, of course, venture capital is downstream from public markets. Uh, there was no IPOs in the last two years. So venture capital shrunk to pass this winter. So it became difficult for all tech companies to raise capital. Climate tech actually fared slightly better. Yeah, slightly better than everything else except AI. Exactly, but still went down. And I have friends with amazing companies who have struggled to raise capital. We were fortunate to have raised our Series B uh, right before that. And, and then this extension you know, came out naturally. But it's hard. I think it's temporary. These are cycles, right? So I think that what I tell my fellow climate tech entrepreneurs is just let's pass the winter because capital will come because this is a an industry that will be so transformative for the world that it's going to create giant companies and so it's just a matter of time and and if you look at every 10 years there is a down cycle in venture capital and it always comes back because innovation doesn't stop how important is the inflation reduction act just before you answer, just for people who don't know, that was the climate bill that Biden passed last year. It was supposed to be $370 billion of tax cuts, uh, subsidies, breaks to kind of boost all kinds of green industries. And now the estimate, the latest estimate I saw is that it could end up being a trillion dollars, which is like, in terms of tailwinds for any industry, I don't know if another one like that exists, but that feels... One, that feels important, and two, it feels in danger if Donald Trump wins. Yeah, look, it's, it's huge. It has already catalyzed uh, several sectors, especially energy, transmission, and, and even carbon removal. And we hope that it will continue and it will expand and it will be followed by other countries. But as I said, in a world with political swings, there is only one direction, which is that we're going to see more and more evidence of climate change and countries will realize that this is a, it's a geopolitical national security issue almost, right? So we will have to invest in climate from governments, from corporations and all across the economy. So I think the tailwinds will remain. But yeah, the, the IRA was, was a big one. Do you have a worst day of work ever? Yes. I mean, entrepreneurship is not easy. As you know, uh, you get punched in your face several times a day, actually, sometimes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, when you're working on an important mission, you you persist. Is there one day that's the, or one experience that you're like, man, that was the worst? I mean, it, it was with my previous company, right? The day that the airlines banned lithium-ion batteries and we couldn't sell our products anymore. Um, that, feels that was pretty, a really yeah. bad day at work. 
Um, yeah, but with Pachama, I mean, we had obstacles and, and rejections and problems, but by the most part, it has been a rewarding journey. And again, it's never easy to try to bring something new to the world. But when you have a purpose and you have a mission-driven team, and frankly, you know, I think that I am a more mature entrepreneur now that understands that ups and downs are part of the job. And I take it with more stoicism, I guess, now. Yeah. And I forgot to ask a very important question. How do you guys make money? Is it just consulting fees effectively? Or do you have some kind of skin in the game of the different projects and the money they generate? Or how does it work? Yeah. So we, we take a, a brokerage fee on projects that we help fund. And then as we expanded into getting more involved into projects, sometimes these are like service fees for the work that we do, getting the projects off the ground. Um, so yeah, it's a combination of fees for the services that we provide. Gotcha. Well, cool. Well, look, I, I wish you all the luck. Um, it's a difficult one, but I think uh, obviously worthwhile. Totally. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Diego. I want to thank you all for listening, for the ratings, for the reviews, for spreading the word about this podcast. I am in the paper this week, so do check that out um, on the interwebs at thetimes.co.uk. And also be on Twitter at Danny Fortson. Email me with any questions or ideas. Danny.Fortson at sundayhyphentimes.co.uk. That is it for me this week. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you very soon. Bye-bye. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and it's time to pamper the special moms in your life. In what better way than with Osea's limited edition skincare sets featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited edition sets, perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. Their Golden Glow Body Set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for silky, smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow and Go Facial Set has everything she needs to achieve spa-level results at home. They're so beautiful, you can skip the wrapping. For a limited time, you can save up to $48 on Osea's sets, plus get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. Pamper the moms in your life and get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code mom.